this message is from Living Rock Church, and we trust you'll be really equipped, envisioned, and encouraged as you listen today. Better to say God did everything, and we are the people that God uses, if of course we make ourselves, it is bright those lights, aren't they? If, of course, we, thank you so much, if we make ourselves available to him. And um, I'm here to preach the word. Um, I'm so glad that uh, God is doing what he is doing amongst you. Undoubtedly, he has got a lot more to do. He has to do because he's going to fill the whole earth with his presence. And if you're a people with that mindset, you're on the right track. If you don't have that mindset, you're going to miss the plan of God. Because that is his ultimate plan, the whole earth filled with his glory. Anyway, I better get to the word. Would you turn with me in your Bibles, please, to Isaiah chapter 35. When the lady just said about the trumpet sound, I nearly changed my mind at the last moment, but I'm sticking to my task. (coughs) There's only ten verses in this chapter. I'm reading from the New International Version, by the way. And um, some time ago, I wrote over the top of this chapter in my Bible a singular word, revival. I believe in revival. I don't believe in revival meetings. They're an altogether different animal. But I do believe in a God who is a God of revival. Also, to follow on from that, he is a God of restoration. Revival without restoration will not accomplish all that God wants. In fact, there have been many revivals, all of which have served their purpose and then seemingly gone their way. And in the goodness of God, I believe you, like me, do not want to be just a people in another revival that does not go on to where God wants it to go on to. You've one generation to live, as I have. Mine's getting a little bit older And some of you will know that in your bodies just as I do at times. But I want to say that God is a God of revival and restoration. And as we read this chapter, would you please read it with me with that in mind. Amen? Here we go. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord and the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance. With divine retribution, he will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals or dragons, if you live in Wales, once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow, 
and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there. Nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not, they will not, be, found, not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Ten verses. It's a brief, but it's a very beautiful song about revival that culminates in God's restoration purpose. The chapter itself follows on from chapter 34 and is a great contrast to it. And uh, chapter 34 is about God's judgments on the nations. Now God here is talking about his people and their involvement with him and his involvement with them. The next three or four chapters after this, it's like a slight digression. It's about Hezekiah and then you almost carry on from this chapter till Isaiah 40, which says, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. And again, it speaks about a highway that God is building. This chapter begins with the desert and the wilderness and the promises it will burst into bloom. It will become like the great and mighty cedars of Lebanon. It will be like the flowers of Sharon, And that plain out there had roses, anemones, buttercups, tulips and poppies. There we are. All those gorgeous flowers. And these are great pictures of the expansiveness of God's kingdom when God revives, when God restores. So it begins with the desert, the parched land and the wilderness. And look where it ends up, folks. Zion. The very last verse says, they will enter... Zion with singing. Now, Zion is the city of God. And at the end of the day, what is called the city of God that Abraham looked for, our father in the face that we're looking for, will be realized. And Zion is the realization of divine order, the kingdom, as God has always intended it to be for this world. Now, if you know your Bibles and you're in Christ, Hebrews 12 tells you this, you've already come to Zion. And if you read in those verses, 12, chapter 12, verses 22 to I think 24, you'll find seven wonderful things that tells you just about how perfect Zion is. We've been singing about Jesus tonight, who is the mediator of a new covenant. And what God has said is going to be in all its finality, you've already come into You've already come into his kingdom, and if you've got any sense, you've let his kingdom come into you and let it take over and rule your life, not as conscripts, but as volunteers for the purposes of God. If you read your Old Testament, the Hebrew prophets, by and large, were prophets of restoration. They were always calling a wayward people back to God, always declaring the purpose of God, having to tell them where they'd fallen short, having to point them in the right direction and how to get right with God. 
And all the prophets saw the corruption, just like our world is right now. Switch on your telly, read your newspapers. It's corrupt. It's a desert out there. It's a wilderness. But God's going to change all that, folks. Prophets had to denounce sin vehemently. I have to say this. God is a God of abundant love. But there is a wrath of God that will come. We often quote that verse, for God so loved the world that we can have everlasting life. He did it for this, so that you may not perish. There's a message to be gotten out, not to be hell-mongering, fear-mongering, but tell people at the same time of the love of God. There is a wrath of God that is to be avoided. The prophets, often their messages seem like dirges, but they never ever despaired. Now here's a little phrase for you. Are you ready? Vision makes despair impossible. If you have vision, no matter what comes your way, despair is impossible to a people that have the vision of God. You know Isaiah in chapter 6, when Uzziah died, he went into the temple and he says this, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Then he heard those seraphim singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. That's the vision that you and I need to have. And the prophets kept putting that before people, and they kept using a phrase, every prophet virtually used it, they kept speaking about the day of God that was to come. That there was a day of God coming. Now they meant Messiah, but they missed him. He's come. He's saved us. He's brought us into his kingdom. But folks, the day of God in its finality is still to come and we're in the vanguard of it and I happen to believe it's a people like us that God is going to use to fill this whole earth with his glory. Can I get an amen? Amen. You see, God is a God who always turns cursing into blessing. Remember the Nehemiah in the time of restoration, he harks back to the people how when a prophet of Balaam was hired by a wicked king to curse the people of God. And every time Balaam opened his mouth, out came blessing. Out came fruitfulness for God. And Nehemiah says, concerning Balaam, our our God, however, turned the curse into a blessing. And for you personally, and for this gathering of people, three groups, community of peoples, or whatever we call them, I can't remember. But the work of God, God is a God of personal and corporate revival and restoration for your lives. And this earth, folks, is not going to be burnt up. It's reserved, this earth, for redemption and restoration. And that's why Isaiah uses all these picture language, this imagery about cedars of Lebanon, about flowers, because it talks of life and fruitfulness and blessing and good things. It talks of blessing instead of curse. And he talks in this chapter about the final victory of God in the earth when Zion 
comes to its fullness. No sin then, folks. No sickness. No sorrow. No suffering. Why? Because John in Revelation, he said this, I looked and there was before me a lamb standing on Mount Zion. Jesus is already there, folks. The Lamb of God has already overcome the devil and all his wickedness. He stands on Mount Zion in total victory, in total overcoming. And we're there with him. But there's a lot of work to be done. It isn't going to be an idol, people. That isn't in my notes. I just said that prophetically. It isn't going to be an idol, people, that brings in the kingdom. It's always going to be a people who will work with their God. Now, I've mentioned the phrase that the prophets used, the day of God. And one person, maybe more than one, I've not thoroughly checked, but certainly one person in the New Testament takes up that phrase. It's Peter, and he says this, and you've heard this verse many times. What kind of people ought we to be as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming? In keeping with his promise, we look forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. I'm always challenged by that. So I've got four little, ch- is that four, four little challenges for you tonight from this chapter. They all begin with the letter C. How's that? And there are four things that you must have, I believe, as God's people, not just us, all God's people, of commonality within our community. Now, these are not arm twisters to get God going. You can't twist God's arm. You can get his juices going, though. Because when God sees his people, as he wants his people to be, God feels pulled on by those people. It's a strange thing, but we can hasten the day of God. I have no idea how, other than we be the people that he wants us to be. So I've got four things. We'll be out by 10.30, no problem. First one is this. What kind of people, as we look forward to the day of God, a people of conviction. The first verse says this, or verse, let's get it right, in the first verse. They will see, they They, they, not you, me, we, they will see the glory of God, the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. I'm talking not to three groupings tonight. In my heart, I'm talking to one church. If you ever separate yourselves out from one another, as people have done in the past, that's when you will be weak. You have to stay strong together, I'm going to say it, through hell and high water. 
And you have to have a common conviction about yourselves. Now, Abraham was a prophet, and he's described in the Scriptures as our father in the faith. And one of the things it says of Abraham in John is very simply this. He saw Jesus' day. Now, many people allude to that about the cross. I'm sure Abraham saw all that because the gospel was announced beforehand to him. But Abraham, as a prophet, saw all about Jesus' day. My friends, we are a prophetic people. Now, we often say that, and if we declare that we are, believe that we are, one of the things that highlight that about prophetic people is that we see things. Is that we see what God wants to show us, and we're responding our seeing, not some golden daybreak, but in the here and the now to what God is saying and what God is doing. Now, when Abraham had a vision of God, the God of glory revealed himself, Abraham saw Jesus' day. That's round about Genesis 12. And just before that, you know it well, Genesis 11 is all about the Tower of Babel, from whence comes Babylon, which is the antithesis of the kingdom of God. And you read in Babylon these things. Genesis 11:4. the people said this, Come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Then the Bible says this, The Lord came down to see them. Such was their common conviction of purpose. It provoked God to action. I've joked, I'll never write a book. But excuse me saying this, if I do, I've got the title and it's called this, The Day God Panicked. Now it's not that God has ever panicked, you understand, I hope, what I'm trying to say. But their conviction, their solidarity, their agreement together caused God to come down and see what was going on. And God says this, the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Folks, do you want impossibilities to be possibilities for you? Then it's simple. Speak the same language. Talk about the same things. Go for the same vision. You must have this corporeity of common conviction amongst you. And it's not our church has this vision and our church has this vision and our church is going in this direction. If you want, then this is what you need to be doing all the time. Talk, confess, pray and prophesy about the glory of God and the kingdom of God coming in all the earth. I'm going to say that again. I enjoyed myself. (laughs) Talk, confess, pray, prophesy about the glory of God and the kingdom of God coming in all the earth. Because that which you talk about, confess about, pray about, prophesy about, that's what you end up believing and reaching for. And I'll tell you this, it'll take a lot of you out of your own little world of trouble and problem as well. It's not that God's not interested in your troubles and problems. But excuse my phrase... God has bigger fish to fry. And God wants you to help him fry them. (laughs) 
That's what you've got to be. Of common conviction. When you're like that, and when the whole church is like that of God, that's when the glory of God is going to start filling the earth. That's when the Holy Ghost is going to start sending refreshing revival rains, rivers of blessing that will turn deserts into streams. Number two is this. What kind of people does God want you to be as you look for the day of God? The people of courage. People of courage. Verse 4 says this. Be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. Your God will come. And he will come and he will save you. Fear is a terrible thing. Fear neutralizes you. Fear distracts you from the objective that God wants you to go for in personal life and in corporate life. Go back and look in the Old Testament. God brought them to the Red Sea. Wonderful things God fitted for them. Wonderful things God did for us. And then they sent 12 spies out. I don't know if it was a good idea or not, frankly. But they came back and the report of the 10 put fear in the hearts of all but two people who were of a different spirit, Joshua and Caleb, who says, Our God is able! Surely! In fact, they said this, they will be as bread to us. What they were saying is this, we'll gobble them up. These men were men of faith and the antidote to fear is faith. But these men were men of great courage, great tenacity. They believed in their covenant God and that he would never fail them and he would never forsake them. So they were strong in their courage and they were strong in their expectation, folks, of what God would do. And you need to be like that, strong in courage. I hear lots of people, and I don't dispute, they're telling me they have faith for this, faith for that, faith for this, and this, that, and the other, and it never happens. Now, I'm not disputing their faith. Please understand this. Sometimes people have faith, but they never back it up with courage to act on their faith. I've heard so many people over the years how God's told them to move, God's told them to do this, and they're utterly convinced, and I think, great. Well, get on with it then. Out where you see, we just need, it's about the children. Now, I'm a dad and a granddad, best people in the world, granddads. <laughs> You're concerned for your kids. Can it? Don't you think God is? Well, I've got to sell the house and the market's tough. Don't you think God can sell your house and buy you another one? Well, you know, there's the wife. Oh, we better not go there. Anyway, (laughs) well, we've just got new carpets. So we can't move for five years because we've got to get our wear out of the carpets. My folks, you need courage to act 
and what God tells you to do. We have a vision for this. Great. If it's of God, have courage. And go for it. What you need to do, folks, is this. Fire up your imagination. Stoke your mind with thoughts of the greatness of God and what he can do. Be strong, do not fear. Three times it tells you that God said to Joshua, be strong and very courageous. Nowhere can I find that God told Joshua to have faith. He had it. He had it. In fact, sometimes stop asking yourself whether you've got it and just declare you've got it. He just said to Joshua, what you're facing, son, you're going to have to be very, very courageous to do it. Folks, I'm saying to you, with all my honest heart, be a courageous people. Turn your prayers, turn your prophesyings into action. Think courageously. Speak courageously. Act courageously. And doors will open up for you. Great things God will do for you. How God says, strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the weak knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. Now we have to encourage and strengthen one another. But before you help anybody else, you need to strengthen yourself. My friends, if you've got, is what the message says. You ready? Energize the limp hands. I like this. Strengthen the rubbery knees. Tell fearful souls, courage, take fear. If you've got limp hands, don't say that the wrong way. If you've got rubbery knees, well, strengthen them in God. You need to say to yourself over and over again, something like this. My God will come, be strong my heart, fear not he will come and save. If I was a doctor and there's one on the front row, I'd say, take that three times a day after meals. <laughs> I'm going to say, my God will come. Be strong, my heart. Fear not. He will come and save. Now, when I say, say that, I don't mean, you know. Say it like a parrot. Just repeating, 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 repeating. Does you nothing. Say it like a pilgrim. who may be going through a valley of weeping at a time, but God will count your tears and put them in a bottle. Say it as a pilgrim, because pilgrims are only heading to Zion. And no matter what comes their way, they stay strong. They keep their courage, and they keep pressing on with God. And when these people in this chapter do this, then suddenly the next verse says this, Then... The eyes of the blind will be opened, ears of the deaf unstopped, lame leap like deer, mute tongue shouting for joy. Now I know that points literally to Jesus and his miracle working power. But let me just apply it to you and me right now. When you take courage, you'll find that there is going to be fresh spiritual discernment coming to you, individually and as a people of God. Eyes are going to be opened in new ways. 
ears are going to be unstopped. You're not going to be blind, but there'll be revelation of the heart and mind of God such that you've never seen before. You're not going to be deaf to the voice of the Spirit. I know you're not deaf now, but there's a greater hearing for us all to have, folks. There's going to be a greater sensitivity to the voice of God. There'll be spiritual discernment that's fresh, and there'll be spiritual power that's fresh. Because the legs won't be lame, and the mute tongue won't be dumb and silenced. You won't be limping along, folks. You won't be dragging your feet in some things. You won't be halting between two opinions. You'll be running fresh with zeal and passion. It's great to see all that God's done, but there's a race still to be run. There's a zeal, there's a passion to be had for God. Whatever you do, don't rest on your laurels. Thank God for everything that's past, and remember, it's past. There's a bigger head ahead of you. You won't be silent. But you'll be rejoicing like the psalmist spoke of those people in Psalm 149 with the high praises of God in our mouths and a two-edged sword. That's this book, by the way. In our hands. And you'll march right in to God's promised land in all its fullness. You'll speak the word with more boldness. You'll speak the word with more confidence. You'll speak the word with more faith. You'll say to mountains, be ye removed and they will go from you. Courage. Conviction. Courage. And the third one. What kind of people ought you to be as you look forward to the day of God? There's a highway behind me. A people of consecration. The verse says this in verse 8. And a highway will be there. And it will be called the way of holiness. Folks, God's highway is a highway. It's not a low way. We are an alternative society to what's going on out there. It's terrible even to think of discussing in this room tonight some of the things that go on out there amongst religious people. God has a highway. It's a way of holiness. When I read that verse earlier on from 2 Peter, what kind of people ought you to be? As you look forward to the day, I missed a bit out on purpose. Now let me read it again. What kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Again, just earlier on, Peter said, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Now, when I talk about consecration to God, firstly and foremostly, the Bible talks of consecration 
sanctification, all those words about being separate to God. That is, you have totally separated yourselves, not from, but to. You're not trying to let go of that. Christ did that all for you at the cross. He separated you from your sin and your evil deeds and your bad habits and everything else that was part of your old nature. And he has separated you for purpose unto God himself. So when I talk about consecration, I mean just that, that we are holy for God himself. That is to say, you're seeking God and his purposes first and foremost. Lots of pressure on lots of believers in our type of churches. Better be careful what I say. Don't go after money. Some are. It'll kill them. Don't go after your career. I haven't got one, so I can't speak. (laughs) Don't go after anything before God himself. I like the King James Version. It says this, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Most of our translations just says this, Seek first the kingdom of God. I like the King James. Here's where I'm going to point now. It says, You. You, 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 you. Seek you, seek ye. Everyone. Oh, we, we got such consecrated leaders. Well, thank God for consecrated leaders. How about some consecrated people to go with the consecrated leaders? There's a scripture that says this if the leaders lead, the people will follow. Isn't that fantastic? I've got an alternative version. It says this if the leaders lead, the people will let them. But you're not supposed to let them. You're supposed to walk in their train. We're supposed to be together at this glorious community, seeking first the kingdom of God. That means this, that Christ is at the center of everything in your life. And he's the circumference of your life, that there's nothing outside of him that you're involved in. You say, what do you mean by that? little illustration. Sometimes I switch the television on and as I begin to watch something, there's a little voice inside of me called God. (laughs) The Holy Ghost and he says, switch it off. That's outside of my circumference for your life. I say, but Lord, there's a highway. It's called a way of holiness. It's called a way of of right living, holy and godly living. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For God is at work in you. God is at work in you. God is at work in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Let me give you a phrase. Immaturity pushes all responsibility on God. It's your fault. Why did you lead this? Why did this? Why did that? Mature people will take responsibility 
in Christ for their own lives. They'll work out their own salvation with fear and trembling, aware that God is working in them to act and to will according to his own purpose. So as you move forward together, I just like to say some things. Now these things, wherever I go, I say the same three things to people. I don't know why, I just seem to be stuck on them. A people moving forward together, listen, folks, no secret sins or vices with anybody. You'll destroy yourself and you'll do great damage to the body of Christ. It's gone sober, it's gone quiet. Don't worry, I've only another 45 minutes. Here's another one. You say, why do you say that about secret sin? Because I keep finding out from time to time what lots of God's people sadly have had concealed for years. I don't know if it's Numbers 32, 23, or Numbers 23, 32, but it says this, whichever chapter and verse it is, be sure your sins will find you out. No secret sins, folks. Sorry to sober you up on such a happy time. Here's another one, because it's prevalent amongst God's people. You ready? No concealed grudges. I've been in prayer meetings in my youth where people at that side of the room were praying about people at that side of the room via God. There are people here, Lord, you know who they are. I am amazed how much stuff of anger, bitterness, Malice. By the way, how do you say those things? Because Paul writes to the Christians and he says this, get rid of bitterness, anger, malice, wrath, and all those things. Why do you think he was saying that? Because it was there amongst them. And it could well be amongst people here tonight. Of course, nobody would have a problem with the leaders of the church, would you? That's an impossibility. (laughs) It's not about leaders, it's just about the people of God Loving one another, encouraging one another, standing with one another, blessing with one another. The third one is this, no hidden agendas. No hidden agendas. Can I speak in the nicest way, particularly leaders? No hidden agendas. Be upfront. Be honest. Walk in the light with one another. Too many churches have suffered in the past when leadership has fragmented. And then you find there's been hidden agendas and all sorts of things going on. When I never really did believe that, how awful. I walked with you for donkey's years, but I mustn't go down that road. So if you've got secret sins, concealed grudges, hidden agendas, here we are folks, be mature, get rid of them. There is blood holy blood that was shed for such things to cleanse and remove us. Oh, by the way, and I must point this out on this highway, it says there's no lions and ferocious beasts there. They speak of demonic footholds. When you occupy the high ground, when you occupy the high ground, when you occupy the high ground, 
the demons cannot trouble you. Occupy the high ground. Conviction, courage, consecration, the last one. What kind of people are you to be in the day of God? Well, a people of celebration. When the trumpet sounded in the Old Testament, the trumpet sounded for four different reasons. They sounded to gather, they sounded to march, they sounded to fight, and they sounded to feast. They sounded to party together. And this scripture says this, that we will come, they will enter Zion singing. Gladness and joy will overtake them. You started with a nice soft song tonight. I I liked it. I didn't know what it was. I had no problem with it. But I I stood and I thought, I thought they'd be singing, I want to shout it out. And then you did. And I thought, I'm in the right meeting. (laughs) I've been in meetings lately. There are some songs sung, they are more fitting for the morgue than for the mercy seat of God. I've come to the mercy seat. Blood has been sprinkled there for me. I'm not in death alley. Now I know there are those deeper songs, those moving songs, but don't let them become so introverted you end up navel gazing, folks. Worship is about celebrating the goodness of God rejoicing in his blessing, singing and dancing your hearts out. Gladness and joy will overtake them. The Bible says this, he who sacrifices, thank offerings, honors me, and he prepares the way so that I may show him the salvation of your God. Sometimes you've got to sacrifice your praise and thanksgiving. Not everything's rosy in the garden. Not everything may be blossoming at that time. But what do you do? Have a pity party or are you going to praise God? It's choice. It's choice. But if you'll sacrifice thank offerings, you will honour God. And look what he says. You prepare a way for yourself. So that God may show you salvation. So when the going gets tough, folks, the tough get praising. When the going gets tough, the tough gets praising. We're the redeemed of the Lord. We're the ransomed of the Lord. You've been given beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. The garments of praise instead of the spirit of despair. When you come together in your twos and threes, your life groups, cell groups, home groups, house groups, what on earth they call them these days, I don't know what groups. But when you come together, praise him. Worship him. We haven't got a guitar. You don't need a guitar. Sometimes the guitar player needs to stop playing. No having a go at anybody. Sometimes, because you can't get a word in edgeways. Shouldn't have said that, should I? There's a prophet called Habakkuk. We're coming to a close. He's having a tough time. If you want to do a study on the book of Habakkuk, I'll give you three headings for each chapter, one heading per chapter. 
Now, they're not my headings. I got them out of a book by J. Sidlow Baxter called Explore the Book. They are that good, you wouldn't believe I could get them anyway. He just simply says this, chapter 1, he's the perplexed prophet. He's saying, why is all this going on, God? Chapter 2, he's the position prophet. He says, I will stand on my watch and see what the Lord says to me. And chapter 3, by the way, which is a song from beginning to end. He's the persevering prophet in spite of the situation not having turned around. And he says these words, Though the fig tree does not blossom, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will be joyful in God my Saviour. Let me read it again. Though the fig tree does not blossom, there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The first word he says this, though this is going on, yet I will do this. And you and I have to be the people who decide, are we going to be muddy and miserable, excuse my bluntness, or are we going to be though yet people, though in spite of everything else, I'm going to sacrifice honouring praises to God. I'm going to be a yet I will rejoice, yet I will be joyful in my God. And God wants us to be a people of celebration. When you're in a meeting, oh, be careful what you say. <laughs> Don't say it. That's the best thing to do. Don't say it. I'll just finish with Habakkuk. Because he says, I'm going to be... <laughs> he said, I'm going to rejoice in God. I'm going to be joyful in God my Saviour. And then he says these words. Now I'm quoting this from the Amplified Bible. If you haven't got an Amplified Bible, it's worth buying one for this verse. The Lord God is my strength, my personal bravery, and my invincible army. He makes my feet like hinds feet, and will make me walk, not stand still in terror, but to walk and make spiritual progress upon my high places of trouble, suffering, or responsibility. I'd like to read that again, but... Just get an Amplified Bible and read it for yourself. And read Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 in the same one. Sorry? Or oh, that's Habakkuk chapter 3 and I think that's 19. What he's saying is in spite of this, I'm going to rejoice in God. I'm going to find God to be my strength. I'm going to find God to be my personal bravery, my invincible army. I'm not going to stand still in terror. I'm going to keep walking forward. I'm going to make spiritual progress. And though the troubles carry on maybe, and the suffering carries on maybe, nevertheless, I am going to be a person who praises God all the time. Amen. What kind of people ought we to be as we look forward to the day of God and speed its coming? Conviction, folks. Courage consecration and celebration. The scripture says this, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God 
to be revealed. That it will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. What is desert and parched will end up as Zion, the city of God, the realization of divine order. It will take the sons of God to do it. And I'll close with this phrase. Such sons secure success. Such sons secure success. There's nothing in hell can stop you when you're convinced, when you've got courage, when you are consecrated to God and you celebrate his goodness. Have a fantastic weekend. God bless you. Thanks so much for listening today. For more information about Living Rock Church and for more great teaching, please visit www.livingrockchurch.org.uk.